Welcome to Policy Outsider, presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government. I'm Alex Morse. The rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans in recent years has been a cause for concern, with reports of violent acts occurring across the country. Advocacy groups alongside federal, state, and local governments have been actively working to address this alarming trend and provide support to victims. As Asian Americans and Pacific Islander Heritage Month draws to a close, we speak with Joanne Yu, Executive Director of the Asian American Federation and member of the Institute on Immigrant Integration Research and Policies Board of Advisors about the violent and harmful acts experienced by Asian Americans. Joanne details the Asian American Federation's response to the surge in hate crimes and shares how individuals and communities can collaborate to confront violence towards not only Asian Americans, but all marginalized groups for a more safe and just society. Coming up next. Joanne Yu, Executive Director of the Asian American Federation. Thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for inviting me. As Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month comes to a close, we wanted to explore current events facing the Asian American community and the work that's being done by the Asian American Federation. So to start, hate crimes towards Asian Americans have been rising. Reports of violent acts are occurring across the country. What are some of the violent or harmful acts many Asian Americans are experiencing? And what is the Asian American Federation doing in response to the rise in hate crimes? Thanks for that question, Alex. We are closing out Asian Heritage Month. And sadly, that is the top of mind for a lot of our community, as well as our friends and allies. And this is the reality that we live in, that we have to talk about violence in our communities. I mean, we've all seen the horrific images from across the country New York City, New York State, sadly, has the highest number of anti-Asian attacks in the country, specifically in New York City, over 2,000. And we know that that is just a small percentage of the actual incidents that are happening. You know, when we say anti-Asian hate attacks, it's misdemeanors and crimes, right? You know, getting people getting punched, um, that needs to get reported to the police, but people also reporting to us about being spat on, um, being called names, over 2,000. Uh, NYPD has shown numbers, two, 300% increase. It's just really a horrific time for our community. A lot of the crimes happen to women. A lot of them have happened to our elders. And, you know, the first thing I think about is, I'm going to be blunt, that our former president, every time he said China virus and Kung flu, it harmed Asian Americans. And I often wonder, this is, you know, my private moments when I'm just beyond exhausted. I think about, we were your neighbors yesterday. We said hello to each other yesterday. And then, you know, within a few days, what has changed? We haven't been to China. You can be mad at a foreign country, but you can't be mad at Americans. So why all of a sudden are we paying the price? I think about that a lot. So what has been happening, obviously, we've seen all the horrific videos of people getting punched, slashed, just things that are happening that are beyond our own imagination, beyond cruel. Our community is at a breaking point. We continue to be. I think people think like, oh, the media is not reporting it anymore. What does it, you know, what does it mean? Nothing has changed. It's ongoing. 
we get reports. People report to our website. We have people call us to say, I know a victim. Can you help them? It's all been really scary. It's been very, and it's been very painful. People are scrambling. People are reeling. I mean, mental health, anxiety, that has just skyrocketed. Our response when all of this started was, sadly, I don't think anybody on my staff slept. I'm not kidding when I say people were texting me at, emailing me at three in the morning. None of us could sleep because we knew what was coming. So nobody slept and we were scrambling to put together resources to outreach to people, to be able to put together the reporting site, having, finding translators who can translate to make sure that people had an outlet to be able to talk about what was happening to them. They don't want to talk to law enforcement, but maybe they want to report it to somebody. So that's what we, we wanted to capture their stories. That was priority number one. And as we started to talk to other communities that had been victimized before, had been marginalized, you know, I say, Haiti is like poisoning the water, right? It spreads to another community and it keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. My staff worked very closely with our allies that people don't realize, you know, the LGBTQ, the trans community, they said, we know what this looks like. We still deal with this. This is what you should think about. This is how you should frame some of this stuff, right? So they are our biggest allies. We would not be able to launch any of our programs without their assistance. And I want to give a shout out to Governor Hochul because the biggest investment that was made in Hope Against Hate was Governor Hochul. She was literally, I'm not even kidding when I say she was in the office for hot five days, right? And she said, this is absolute nightmare. I want to support the Asian American community. She threw in real money. That money, we funded 33 groups across the state. And our approach is really about centering the victim to connect victims with lawyers. I can give them mental health assistance. I can make sure that we do safety trainings. I can make sure that we fund safety programs where people are walking around the neighborhoods, patrolling the neighborhoods. Um, I can make sure that victims and their families are supported. You know, a lot of corporations stepped up. So for instance, Lyft and Uber, they would say, we want to give you some ride credits. Great. And then we would put it out there. If you need to get somewhere and you feel unsafe, please let us know. We can give you some ride credits. And so for us right now, we need to figure out while there are ongoing policy discussions, what do we need to do to keep people safe? People need to go to work. People need to put food on the table. People need to go to school. So what are we asking for? What are we doing? That is our prime concern. I am always happy to talk to anybody who will hear our story because I feel like the most powerful weapon that the tool that I have in combating anti-Asian hate and combating racism is information and education. Well, we're grateful to have you here. This is an important story. It is important to inform the community of what's happening to different minority groups. You mentioned uh, a lot there, and I want to kind of touch on a few of those things. So you mentioned that Governor Hochul put funding towards helping combat anti-Asian violence. Governor Hochul and the state legislature in this most recent budget committed $30 million mm -hmm. to combat anti-Asian hate crimes. You talked a little bit about what that kind of looks like in terms of providing victim services or mental health services. Can you expand on what that outreach looks like and how you can connect with people who are victims of hate crimes? Sadly, we don't have to do too much work. What happens with the money is that we send out a request for proposal, right? 
we ask our members, our nonprofit members across the state, how do you see yourself inserting into these elements that we think are important? For instance, domestic groups that deal with gender-based violence, domestic violence, they say, we know how a hotline works. We can do that. There are groups who work with kids who say, we can do some youth education. There are groups who say, we have a volunteer corps that can patrol the streets. Um, so why don't we sign up for that? We can host safety training so that people understand how to physically keep themselves safe. And I don't want to, you know, order, prioritize who's doing the most important work, but a critical work is mental health services. We have to have mental health services for the victims, their families, but also for the community. So our mental health, Asian-led, Asian-serving mental health services, mental health providers, sadly, we are putting them through their paces. You know, before the COVID, they had two, three-week wait to talk to somebody. Now it's months. And we know that there is desperation. We need to talk about anxiety. My staff need to talk about anxiety. I need to talk about anxiety. So we have different components of Hope Against Hate. We give money out to 30, 30 different groups based on what each group is committed to do. And so it really is this collaborative effort. The violence towards the Asian American community is not going to be solved by Asians alone. This really is a collaborative community effort. Our safety depends on everybody else to help us. Just like every other community, we see the black and brown community, we see the LGBTQ community, we see the Jewish community, we see the Muslim community. We Now we see the asylum workers. Everybody's safety belongs on each of us looking at those New Yorkers as part of our community and doing what is right. If you see violence, if you see some old lady struggling to keep her handbag, and if you're walking down the street with your friends, there are things that you can do. And so we're teaching people those techniques as well. I think that's very helpful information to know and will certainly guide uh, listeners to your website at, for resources on how to protect themselves and how to protect their community. Uh, earlier, you mentioned rhetoric playing a huge role in framing perspective on how people feel towards Asian Americans. Uh, specifically, you cited President Trump saying things like Kung flu or the Wuhan flu. In addition to President Trump, how has mass media more broadly impacted attitudes towards Asian Americans. For example, there was the COVID-19 pandemic and China's reported reluctance to sharing information about the spread and origin of the disease. China's also been a global and economic player rising in their competitive advantage. And then there's also North Korea's nuclear weapons program and the risks they pose not only to their neighboring countries, but also the world. Every time Trump said that and his cronies allowed him to say that, I'm watching the news, you know what's gonna happen. Hang on everybody, because we're gonna start to see spikes, right? And it's those times that I wish I was wrong and I wasn't because we did see the spikes. You know, this is your fault. This That narrative still holds true, right? It's still, you know, this is your fault. And I'm thinking, well, how can it be our fault if we were also in New York experiencing the exact same thing? Asian Americans, we're not immune to COVID, we had to wear masks. We had to go get vaccines. Our people, you know, our community members died. We had to go to work. Everything that everybody around the world experienced, we experienced too as Americans. For a lot of Asian Americans, it remains a perplexing question. How can you be angry at us when we've been here the whole time? We are Americans. And it's this constant othering of Asian Americans. We are the other, right? We are the, the constant foreigners. We've been here for generations. 
they've been here for four or five generations. How they're American as they get, right? And so we also need to think about how do we define what is American? I think if new immigrants come to our country and they make their home, home here, that's an American. They become citizens, that's an American. If you planted your flag here, you live here, work here, send your kids to school, or you're an American. Um, and why I like that question, Alex, is the fact that there are foreign policy conversations that we're having, right? There's not so productive conversations with China. We, there's always seems to be tension with North Korea. But that's a foreign policy question. That has nothing to do with me. And I, I will tell you, as a Korean-American, right? I am an immigrant. I came here as a little girl. Every time something happens with North Korea, you know, I... I'm, I'm watching with curiosity because I'm thinking, oh my God, if North Korea tries to start something, what does it mean for us Americans, right? Like, so the foreign policies and disagreements should not be attributed to us. We are a country of immigrants. We are a state of immigrants. We are so proud of our immigrant heritage, but we've made our home here. This is our home. So what is happening in China? We don't have anything to do with that. What is happening in Korea? We don't have anything to do with that. This is interesting. I'm 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 learning a lot as we go through with it, and it's it's. Alex, if I can go back to the, the Trump Trump question, right? Yeah, of course. I want to really thank the Asian elected officials because I think they fought so hard to push back on that rhetoric, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna now I feel like I had I gotta name names now, right? Because I'm angry. I am very angry and I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. Nobody can tell me I'm wrong. Nobody can tell me shit these days. You know, Mitch McConnell, why the hell didn't you issue a statement? Your wife is a Chinese American immigrant and she's a cabinet official. You should have said to Trump, what you're saying is unacceptable. You are putting my family in danger. You are putting Asian Americans in danger. His silence harmed our community. And you know, I know that's true. It is appalling to me that leaders didn't say anything. When you are a leader, your job is to speak the truth. And he damn well knew watching the, the victims of the Atlanta spa shooting, all of these Asian Americans getting slaughtered on the street, didn't say one word, right? After his wife left the cabinet and she made a comment, I thought, you know what? It's too late. Because there are already people dead. There are already Asian American community members whose lives have changed forever. Sometimes, you know, this is the thing that we always tell children, you know, like speak up even if your voice shakes. Why weren't you speaking up? You know, Alex, I have to tell you, you know, I got a lot of hate mail. I got a lot of hate email. I got people calling me saying horrible things, right? I don't care, you know, because I know what the truth was. Because I know I sat with victims. I had to hear the struggle and I had to hear their questions of why did you think they picked me? Why me? Right? Because of racism, because people who should have said something didn't say anything. And yet it was a handful of elected officials like Congresswoman Meng who spoke up and said, this is not acceptable. My God, you know, when your community is in crisis, you know who the allies are. I will tell you in New York City, the black leadership the black nonprofit leaders, those were my allies because the black and Latino leadership, because I know whenever something happened, my phone ring, ring off the hook. They would text me and say, are you okay? What can we do to support you? In, when you are having a crisis, you know who your allies are. And sometimes the allies are not from our own community. 
it's been a long struggle for a lot of communities and especially in this current climate of of heightened tensions and and heightened racism or at least the, uh, racism that's been more public if we're going to focus a little bit more on the perpetrators of these hate crimes and racist acts do hate crime convictions require any type of rehabilitation training remediation or paid damages you know i'm not an expert so i don't know it's something that we didn't keep up with because we are definitely more victim-centered and we really wanted to figure out what do we do for the victims and oftentimes our job was to connect the victims to an attorney who can help the victims pursue their justice and the question that we i've often asked the victims was what does justice look like for you? What can we do to make sure you get the justice that you think is fair? You know, many of the perpetrators, severe mental illness, are homeless. How do you punish them when the system, in many ways, left them behind, in every way left them behind? How do you, how do you scream for justice? Because they're vulnerable too, right? So these are the things that our community needs to think about. I think we are, I think what the pandemic did was to expose a whole lot of cracks in our society that never got healed and we all were we were always willing to put a band-aid over it right and i for me i feel like is this the time for us to crack open and see what's underneath and let's build something new one thing about asian violence anti-asian violence that i need to put out there i think everybody thinks this is the first time we've been through this right and i tell everybody the history of the asians in america the from the time that we've set foot in the soil has been about violence, has about marginalization, and it has been about erasure. Think about the Exclusion Act. They created a law to not let Chinese Americans become citizens, yet they were the cheap laborers who built the railroads. Uh, the Page Act that prevented women from coming over here because they were deemed prostitutes. Let's look at rounding up Japanese Americans and putting them in concentration camps after the war. We think about what happened to the Muslim Arab community after 9-11. We also need to think about Vincent Shin. I think that is the perfect example of how our community is overlooked, marginalized, and how people don't have an idea. Racists don't have an idea what the heck's going on. You know, Vincent Shin is a Chinese American. His parents adopted him from China. He's as American as they come. He worked in Detroit at a time when um, Japanese cars were coming. Uh, there were more fuel-efficient cars. And so two white men who got laid off decided they were going to beat up Vincent Chin on the eve of his wedding because they thought he was Japanese. And this is the stupidity, right? Why would you beat up an American when you're mad at a foreign corporation? You can't even tell the difference between Chinese and Japanese. It's just this chronic stupidity that we deal with. Nothing's new for us. How we're coping, who our allies are, and how we're sorting this out is going to feel different. We want our histories taught in schools. We want to work with other communities that have been marginalized. You know, I, I also, it's, a, it's the one-year anniversary of the Buffalo Tops grocery supermarket shooting. It gutted me. Um, because I thought, my God, we have just complete, as, as a society, we have gone over the edge. But I heard that the killer's manifesto included his admiration for the Asian American community. And, you know, that pissed me off more than anything. And I thought, how dare you use our community to justify this horrific thing you did 
to innocent people, to go into the supermarkets and slaughter people. That is not okay. No Asian American is okay with that. We are outraged. The fact that we are seen as the model minority, you know, and we're used as a wedge to deny other communities of color the resources that they need. It's just endless, endless. But I think we are now starting to stand up. Our young people are starting to stand up. Our seniors are starting to say that we're sick and tired of this. Why? Why are you, you know, you know, why are we scapegoated for the pandemic? We didn't start it. We were had to go through the exact same thing. Everything that everybody's feeling as Americans, we felt that too. And that is the one ask I have of listeners that we are Americans. We are here. You need to see us as your neighbor. You need to see us as your friend and family. You need to see us be an ally and be a champion for all of us. Much of this conversation has been a sober reminder of where we've been and the long road left to go. But I think you ended there a little bit on a more positive note, thinking about allyship, being a leader, and looking at community partners to help end violence against marginalized groups, to help combat racism, to provide services for victims of hate crimes, but to also look at opportunities to help root out some where racism might begin from, how to confront that before it happens. I want to just say thank you again and uh, ask you one last question to round out our conversation is, do you have any policy recommendations? I know it's kind of a broad question, but like, what would you want to see implemented at the state or maybe federal level of government that would help you achieve your goal through the Asian American Federation and other groups? Sure. I think there's a number of proposals that we constantly give to the federal officials. Uh, we have a pretty strong representation. You know, New York congressional delegation has always done right by the Asian American community. So we're very thankful and grateful. More than anything else, we ask for visibility. So I know that there are efforts to create an Asian American museum. Um, I know that that's in the works. You know, right now what we need is funding. We need support. This is ongoing and this is not going to end anytime soon. We need support to be able to have conversations. We also need funding, not just for the Asian community, but communities of color, other marginalized communities, because we need to start to have cross-community dialogue. We all seem to be living because we're all trapped in this hell of racism and violence. And we are all struggling through the exact same thing. How do we keep ourselves safe? And I think the homework for all of us is how do we advance without one community getting something that other marginalized communities don't have? How do we start to share? How do we say, if you're going to give me something, I would like the other marginalized communities to have it too. And I think we need to start to build those coalitions. And those coalitions are being built right now. Statewide, I know that there are efforts to mandate Asian American curriculum, but we also need to mandate the Latino community curriculum, African American curriculum. You know, we think about often the struggles of the Black community, the civil rights struggles that really benefited our community. We need to understand all of that stuff. We need to teach all of this stuff to our children. We need to teach our communities. We need to start to, all the conversations that you and I are having. We need to normalize and replicate this in hundreds and thousands of ways, not just among you and me, but through regular people. I think what I realized through anti-Asian hate is all the leaders know top-down approach can't happen. We all understand it. We all intellectualize it because we have longstanding allyship and relationships with all these nonprofits. What I realize is we need to put more effort into bottom-up conversations. How are we facilitating conversations 
between neighbors, between people who live on the same block, your next door neighbor. How are we building real grassroots understanding and support? I think that is the work that is left to be done. And I think that is the work that needs to happen so that that way we can fully understand that we are all up against something really ugly that has plagued this country for hundreds of years. But maybe as we all say, I hope it's not just conjecture. I think as we all say, like, we have to reset as we come out of the pandemic. I think this is the radical reset that we need to have. Joanne Yu, Executive Director of the Asian American Federation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. Thanks again to Joanne Yu, Executive Director of the Asian American Federation, for joining the podcast to discuss the increase in hate crimes targeting Asian Americans and how the Asian American Federation is working around the clock to provide resources, support, and outreach to victims. If you are interested in learning more, please visit their Hope Against Hate campaign on their website, aafederation.org. If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and share. It will help others find the podcast and help us deliver the latest in public policy research. All of our episodes are available for free wherever you stream your podcasts. Transcripts are available on our website. Special thanks to Rockefeller Institute staff, Joel Torado, Heather Trella, Guillermo Martinez, and Laura Schultz for their contributions to this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Morris. Until next time. Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, a public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The Institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following at Rockefeller Inst. That's Rockefeller, I-N-S-T, on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? Email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.